I invite you to open a Bible with me, if you will, to the New Testament book of Acts. We're going to be reading together in just a few moments in our Bibles from Acts chapter 15. And while you are turning back there, let me echo the welcome to all. Thank you for being here. We have guests among us, and especially we are thankful for your presence. We encourage you to follow along with us. We have a number even of our own church family we know who are joining us via live stream. We're thinking about you, and we are glad that you are giving attention on this, the Lord's Day, to the Lord who has made all of these blessings that we've been singing about possible this morning. Thank you for singing out this morning. Thank you for being an encouragement to me. And I pray that our time in God's Word will be an encouragement to you as well. We are wrapping up this morning a series that in many ways has been the, the capstone of our theme for the year. Throughout this year, we have echoed this phrase over and over and over again from the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Let us rise and build. And it seemed very fitting here at the end of this year to think seriously, and carefully, humbly, and critically about the greatest building project of all. That is God's church, God's work, God's way. And so several Sunday mornings ago now, we went back and, and we spent significant time in the New Testament book of Ephesians that presents God's church as a masterpiece, especially Ephesians 1 and 2 and 3. And we rooted ourselves there for several minutes and, and tried to show that really this is history's greatest building project. This is history's greatest masterpiece because it is God's masterpiece. We live in a world full of God's amazing works, but nothing in all of creation surpasses the glory of the Lord's church. After that, Roger spent some time historically looking at how this good news came to this part of the world in which we live and, and lessons that we can learn from history. We spent some time after that talking about what is our mission? What is the church's mission generation after generation. We talked about God's way of taking care of needs in the world and that mankind's greatest need is the need for salvation. This past Sunday morning, Roger looked at this pivotal question of everything we've talked about. Is it established? Is it established by God and something we build on and, and remain immovable and steadfast in? Or is it evolving from generation to generation? And of course, we know we've spent some time on Sunday evening supplementing this series with discussions, hopefully, that, that clearly show from God's Word. Our responsibility is not to innovate 
Our responsibility is not to participate in some sort of evolution of God's church and His work and His way, but simply to humbly and joyfully participate in that grand building project. But I've got to tell you, from a couple of months ago now, when Roger and I started talking about this series, there was one lesson that seemed to me would be very appropriate to conclude everything on. Because I don't know about you, when I spend time in Ephesians 1 and 2 and 3, for instance, and I see the beauty, the glory, the the perfection of what God has done, at times I feel unworthy to be a part of that. Because that is a perfectly glorious plan and I am an imperfectly glorious person. Who am I to be a part of such a perfect, divine glorious plan and and every effort that I bring to it in one way or another is flawed and so if I plug myself into this maybe it was good but it's very quickly going to become imperfect is it all right for imperfect people to be a part of God's perfect plan And so I invite you this morning to choose your own adventure. You remember those books? Those were some of my my favorite books when I was in elementary school. These choose-your-own-adventure books. You you come to a fork in the road in this book, and if you, you go one way, you turn to page 43, or you go the other way, and you turn to page 72, and you just go on and on and on throughout the course of this customizable adventure. I'd encourage you this morning to to make a choice. And we've got 10 different choices. You're wandering through the ancient world. You believe in Jesus. You want to be a disciple of Jesus. You're looking for the local church that that you are going to work and worship with. And you know that you have your flaws and, and imperfections, but you also know that God consistently calls you to be a part of something larger than yourself. And so you come to local church number one. And you find that they are binding where God hasn't bound. And you know, hopefully you know from our study over the course of the last several weeks that it's not up to us to decide. We've got a perfect founder of this glorious church. And we need to be really careful about binding where God hasn't bound. And so we travel a little bit further down the road and we come to congregation number two. And we find that they are quarreling over matters of opinion. 
as human beings have done for millennia. You know, I like my way of looking at things. In fact, I I like my way of looking at things more than your way of looking at things. And if you would just think about these matters of judgment the way that I do, boy, our relationship would be better. And in fact, I'm pretty confident this world would be a better place. But I can't move you, and so we quarrel. And the more that we quarrel, the more we lose sight of the nature of the things we're quarreling about. And and that's not for me. And so I go a little bit further down the road, and I spend a little bit of time in local church number three, and I find that they are tolerating open sexual immorality. And I know that the Lord has spoken strongly against that. And so I'm going to go to congregation number four and I quickly find that, in fact, they're turning to a different gospel. And I know that the gospel of the Lord Jesus is the only power provided by God to save mankind from our sins. And so I go a little bit further down the road and after spending a little bit of time there, I find that they're they're swerving from sound doctrine. They, They knew it at one point, but it's like at the... The steering wheel of everything, we're just swerving all over the place into dangerous territory. And so I go down a little further and I find two women who are really having a struggle getting along. And it started out privately, but now it has blossomed into a very public thing. They are both daughters of God, they are sisters in Christ, and yet they cannot seem to agree in the Lord. And so I go further down the road to congregation number seven, and I find self-made religion. And so I go to congregation number eight, and I see people walking in idleness. They don't want to work, and they want other people to take care of them while they're not working. And so I go to congregation number nine and I find dynamics there where the faith of entire families is in danger of being shipwrecked. And I go to congregation number 10 and I find there a bully among the brethren whose it's my way or the highway attitude is splitting God's glorious church. And I'm faced with a choice in that moment. Do I honestly look at all of this and, boy, that's a mess. You know, these people sure do look like a bunch of hypocrites. Because they say one thing, they sing one thing, they pray one thing, they, they, they commemorate one thing. But look at this. I, I'm not sure I want to be a part of any of this. Maybe Jesus isn't king after all. Maybe he's not Savior and Lord after all. 
maybe better to go back to what I knew before hearing this good news that revolves around Jesus. Is that the answer? I think sometimes as we open our Bibles, we've got it in our minds that what we're reading about, well, that's, that's it. That's the pinnacle. I, I, we could never reach this level, so why even try? Those of you who have, who have spent some time in your Bible probably recognize this ugly list. You see, this isn't made up. It's, it's not hypothetical. If your Bible is open there to Acts chapter 15, that church where binding, where God hasn't bound problem was going on, well, that was among the saints in Jerusalem of all places. The gospel had come to the largely Gentile city of Antioch. And Luke tells us in Acts chapter 15 and verse 1, you can read it in your Bible. Some men came down from Judea and were teaching these brethren in Antioch, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. We know you've heard about Jesus. We know that, that, that people have come as ambassadors of Jesus, telling you what he has done, talking about his sacrifice for your sins, calling you to repent and be baptized in his name, to wash those sins away. And all of that is good and well. But listen, if you're really going to be a child of God, you also need to be circumcised the way good Jews down here in Jerusalem have been doing for generations. In verse 5 of this same chapter, some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rise up and they say, it is necessary to circumcise these Gentiles and to order them to keep the law of Moses. A very real problem. Binding where God hasn't bound. It plagued for a long time the church in Jerusalem. And that local church where... There were quarrels over matters of opinion. Can you open your Bible to the next book from Acts to Romans? And you, you, you turn it there to Romans chapter 14 and we'll start reading in verse 1. That quarreling over matters of opinion issue, that was the church in Rome. And so the Apostle Paul in Romans 1 through 11 gives us this incredible view of what God has done. Look at his amazing plans. Look at how he is able to exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we could ever ask or think, made available to us in Jesus Christ. And then when he turns from the glory of God's plan to in flesh and blood, how flawed, imperfect people apply it, we got to talk about quarreling over matters of opinion. 
In Romans 14 and verse 1, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. It's an important context here. Whether you eat meat and vegetables or only vegetables, God welcomes you both. But some had opinions on one side, some had opinions on the other, and he's got to remind them in verse 13, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never. Strong word there. Straightforward word there. Never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. It wasn't a hypothetical. It was an issue in the church in Rome. Go with me to the next book of the Bible. To 1 Corinthians chapter 5. That, that issue where sexual immorality is present among these people who claim to be disciples of Jesus. That was Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1, Paul says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality not out there in Corinth, but among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you, you're arrogant. You're tolerating this. You're not doing anything about it. You're acting as if this brother or sister can live in open sexual immorality and, and be welcomed as a faithful brother or sister in Christ. In fact, you ought to be mourning. This is not good. Don't you understand the glory of the Lord's church how joyfully eager we ought to leave behind whatever must be left behind in order to be a part of this. But as that glorious picture is applied in flesh and blood and then someone decides, well, I'm interested in the blessings, I'm just not interested in this self-denial stuff. What do we do then? You go with me a few pages later in your Bible to Galatians chapter 1. You remember that issue of turning to a different gospel. Paul is writing this letter to the entire region of Galatia. Multiple churches there. And he launches this letter. Not with 11 chapters worth of let's soak in the glory of the perfect Christ and his triumphant kingdom. No, with this group, Paul's got to start in verse 6 with, I am astonished that you are so 
quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Go with me a little deep in your, in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 1. You remember that description of swerving from sound doctrine? That's Ephesus. In Ephesians, or in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul writes to young Timothy and he says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge, not hypothetical people, certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith and there are certain persons who have swerved from those things. Wandered away into vain discussion. Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. You remember that struggle to agree in the Lord, those two sisters? Philippi and it had gotten somehow some way so bad I want you to think how you would feel if for 2,000 years your name was captured in sacred scripture because you were having trouble getting along with a sister in Christ that's Philippians chapter 4 and verse 2 I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. They've labored side by side with me in the gospel. And something has happened now where... What's boiling over? Could be dangerous to them and the life of the local church. You remember that? Self-made religion promotion? Well, that, that's Colossae. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of, of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You remember those people who would rather look to somebody else to provide for them while they, able-bodied, aren't interested in working? That was Thessalonica. 
We command you, Paul writes, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Verse 11, we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Open your Bible with me to Titus chapter 1. We're nearing the end of God's revelation to mankind. Titus chapter 1. You remember that upsetting the faith of entire families issue. Well, that was on the tiny island of Crete. Where the evangelist Titus had been left in Titus 1 and verse 10. There are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the, the, the inhabitants of your own island on Crete, a prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And we got a problem because disciples of Jesus on that island were living up to that reputation. That's a problem. This is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. You remember how we, we hypothetically made our tenth stop on the road and, and we found even a bully among the... A, a, a tyrant in the local church. His name was Diotrephes. And it was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ who had to write and say, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first. You all can be here as long as it all revolves around me. What about what the apostles have said? I'm not going to acknowledge their authority. John says, if I come, I'll bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who wants to and puts them out of the church. And so what do we do With such a man-made mess. One thing I want you to see is. This very popular thing that we hear in 21st century Western culture. That well I, I'm, I'm interested in Jesus but I'm not interested in the church. Because churches I mean sometimes. It's a mess. Brother, sister, friend, neighbor. That's not anything new. Human beings are human beings wherever and whenever they live. Could I offer in our, our last few minutes together some really important conclusions? Not just for this morning, but 
throughout the arc of this entire series. Number one, not one of these churches flawlessly represented the perfect Christ. That's just reality. I mean, we just took out ten. We could duplicate that ten times over. Perhaps you remember back in 2012, there was a small village in Spain that made international headlines because they had a a century-old painting in very much the style of the way Jesus has been depicted in Western culture, especially European culture for millennia. Uh, There was a a centuries-old depiction that that was actually based on uh, a, a master painting that was hundreds of years old. But by 2012, it had gotten a little worse for the wear. And bless her heart, some 80-year-old widow who particularly liked this painting decided she was going to do something about it. And so she let herself in and unknowing to everyone else decided to spruce it up. And the finished product made international headlines all over the world. Not exactly a flawless recreation of the original masterpiece. And I would suggest to you in many ways what we read in Acts and Romans and 1 Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and beyond is a lot like that feeble attempt to represent a perfect Savior. All right, well, where do we go from there? How how did it get there? Well, important conclusion number two, churches are messy Because they're made up of people. Every single one of those issues. Binding where God hasn't bound. Quarrels over matters of opinion. Tolerating sexual immorality. Turning to a different gospel. You go down the list. And it is not a flaw in the design. It's a problem with the people. Attempting to implement. The design. All right, well, where do we go from there? Because (laughs) I'm not sure I need more messy people in my life. Well, it, it leads us to important conclusion number three. Every church, ancient and modern, is a work in progress. Let's be honest about that. But let's also be honest enough to acknowledge a couple of really important truths. The gospel invitation still stands. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. 
Nowhere was anyone ever told, repent and be baptized in the name of the church in Jerusalem or the saints in Galatia or the elders in Philippi or the preacher in Corinth. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ because the gospel is God's power to save. Brothers and sisters, friends, neighbors, the answer is is not to bind where God has not bound or to turn to a different gospel or to swerve from sound doctrine or to quarrel over matters of opinion or or, or promote some sort of a self-made religion. No. The perfect Christ. His perfect plans are not Frustrated or foiled by imperfect people. Think about who followed him for three years. Loud, outspoken, brash, hillbilly fisherman. A hated tax collector. A violent, all-in zealot. Think about who he spent time with. A woman caught in the very act of adultery. A Pharisee who had a spark of belief, but was only willing to come to him at night and talk about it. The perfect Christ specializes in working with people who realize their need. And so I realize the inherent danger in giving you those 10 bullet points this morning because we've focused on the problems. But realize the reason that we have 1 Corinthians, Galatians, 3 John, is to open the eyes of people who still need Jesus, who still have been given time to repent of their sins. Important conclusion number five. Our standard is not ourselves. Our standard is not the way we have always done things. Our standard is not the way that we collectively would like them to be. Our standard most certainly is not our our individual or collective opinions. Our standard is not other churches. Our standard is God's revealed will. And so as we close, would you turn with me to the last book of the Bible, to Revelation chapter 2. And I want to show and drive home in clear terms. Churches are messy. Because they're made up of people. And every church, ancient and modern, it, it is a work in progress. But here is the heartbeat of the gospel. For brothers and sisters in Christ who have responded and, and put their faith in Jesus and, and want to be heaven bound. And sometimes we stumble and, and knock each other over and we lose our way and we lose the path. But this is how the Bible 
begins that if we will listen to and trust and submit to and follow the lead of our perfect king, boy, do we make a mess of things at times. Wow, do we sometimes bump up against each other and, and create some sparks in the process. But our perfect king is perfectly able to lead us to victory. Don't believe that? Look at Revelation chapter 2 and, and verse 7. Where this perfect king says to the church in Ephesus who had left their first love. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Revelation 2 and verse 11, to the church in Smyrna, where the devil was about to throw some of them into prison. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Verse 17, to the church in Pergamum, you dwell where Satan's throne is. This perfect king says, and there's a problem here because some of you are holding to the teaching of the, the Nicolaitans that I hate. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. To the church in Sardis, chapter 3 and verse 5, that had a reputation of being alive, but it was dead. The one who conquers will be clothed in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Verse 12, to the church in Philadelphia that had but a little power. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Even to Laodicea, lukewarm, wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I conquered. What's it mean to conquer in 2021? It's not to walk away from Jesus. It's to listen, it's to trust, it's to submit, it's to follow the lead of the perfect king. Who welcomes imperfect people. And transforms them into his glorious image. And so we're going to stand and, and we're going to sing perfect notes that were labored over without a doubt in my mind for hours, perhaps weeks, to, to, to give us this perfect arrangement and you know what's going to happen as we sing this perfectly arranged perfectly melodious and harmonious song we're going to sing it very imperfectly but that is not a surprise to our perfect king 
who invites us to sing with all of our hearts. And we've got a, a perfect guide for marriage and a perfect guide for raising a family. And you can think before you have kids that you're going to do it perfectly and then you have a rude awakening. But we're not going to leave the perfect standard behind. We're going to submit. We're going to repent. We're going to, we're going to transform. Because this perfect king is not daunted by your imperfections. The call still stands. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you need to do that right now in responding to the one who is gentle and lowly in heart, we would love to know how we can help. If you'll let us know by coming to the front while we stand and sing together.